Exchange Guild. This podcast is sponsored by and was recorded at Normandale Community College's Partnership Center, home to Normandale Center for Applied Learning. They provide relevant and customized learning for working professionals, teams, and organizations of all sizes that want to invest in their greatest asset, their people. To learn more about Normandale's programs, call 952-358-8343 or visit them at normandale.edu ce. You're listening to the Change Illuminati Podcast with Dan Olson. Welcome to his latest audio adventure, unscripted conversations with leaders, consultants, and everyday people to collect their stories and learn how they overtly or covertly practice their craft to help others navigate through change. These discussions will also explore best practices and emerging trends in the field of organizational change, effectiveness, resiliency, and leadership. And now, here's your host, Dan Olson. With the onslaught of fake news and internet trolls, it's nice to know there's a champion for good out there, someone who advocates leveraging social media for learning and is actively creating an authentic and trustworthy voice for the change profession. Today on Change Illuminati Podcast, I get to talk to this champion, Paul Thorson. Famously known as SurveyGuy2 on Twitter, Paul is a global social media influencer and disseminates practical scientific I.O. psych practices via social media to help HR and org development people. In my opinion, if you are an organizational development, HR, or change management practitioner, his social media feed is a daily must-read to help you stay on the cutting edge of your profession. As such, he is one of the most impactful curators on the web, and his lists such as the 80 IO psych pros to follow on Twitter are regarded as the who's who of the industry. Paul has over 15 years of experience as an industrial organizational psychology practitioner, is currently an independent consultant, and is also the editorial correspondent and social media specialist for the popular website Change Management Review. As a frequent podcast and conference panel guest, Paul constantly shares his knowledge and passion for a wide range of topics, such as an evidence-based practice for OD, a topic he shared at a recent MNODN meeting, and the payoffs of social media involvement, an upcoming PSYOP 17 conference presentation. In today's conversation, I mix it up a bit and selfishly navigate Paul through an esoteric and inside baseball look at his journey into social media, what topics are currently exciting him, including his favorite thought leaders on Twitter, the value of change management methodology certifications, a survey of this year's change in OD conferences, artificial intelligence impact on the workplace, and the future of change management. And now, the Change Illuminati podcast conversation with Paul Thorson. When I think of you and, 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 you know, as I go to LinkedIn, I just want this to jump out at me, but you're like the curator. So if I were to give you a, uh, a superhero comic book character name, it's okay. the curator. Wow. Because, okay. Cause, and I tell us a lot of people, your LinkedIn or excuse me, your social media feed, your, you know, at survey guy too, is I read it every day. So, I mean, that's you. That's your brand. <laughs> well, thank you. What, um, how did you get to that? 
place. I mean, you know, as long as I've known you, you've been doing this, but what inspired you to go down the path of curating this incredible social media channel of stuff? You know, there isn't a very straight line with that. Um, I, I think what happened was a combination of things. So historically, I was doing communications for the local OD network. Right. And during that, I started getting more and more social media active. And then after that, I was doing social media for the local industrial organizational psychology group. Um, and so those two things together kind of immersed me in social media. And during that time, I started saying, hey, there's there's got to be a way we can use social media for good. <laughs> you know, it doesn't have to just be <laughs> trolls and spam and stuff like that. And there's lots of other people who are out there curating as well. Right. Uh, but I, I found that it's it's one way to share information, whether it's a link or uh, you know, an article or find something that's like, oh, hey, open access. You know, you don't come across that every day. So I slowly started saying, you know, what can I disseminate that, that's good stuff? It's stuff that has, you know, my approval, so to speak. And, mm-hmm. it's, and it's not necessarily a myth or a fad and say, here's some good information for people who are doing HR, OD, change management, et cetera. So uh, anything that you tweet has your uh, test of quality uh, approval? Almost anything. Um, there, there are the occasional thing that might be, for example, a really big PDF that I check it out. I kind of bookmark it for later. Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, if I share something, it means I've read it and I, I think it's something worth sharing. Uh, also, this doesn't happen often, but anytime you share something, there's always that chance somebody will come back and say, hey, on page six, this article you shared says this. Do you believe in that? What do you think it means? I don't want to have to go, gosh, I don't know. I didn't read it. I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay. Because that has happened a few times. Okay. And it's, it's nice to be able to say, I shared it because of X, Y, Z. Or, gosh, you know what? I know it had that one section that was kind of questionable. But the other stuff had some really kind of brilliant nuggets to share. So I thought it was worth sharing. Well, even if even if you get a comment like that, I think that's a win because that shows that you have engagement with your followers. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah, cool. Exactly. Not a lot of people can say that, you know, they, they push content and, you know, there's not that, that back and forth, which it seems like you do have quite a, uh, quite a bit of engagement. Uh, I see a lot of comments on like Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, I see a lot of retweets and a lot of comments or, or reply tos on Twitter. So it, it does feel like you get good engagement uh, yeah. with social media. Yeah, I, th- I think a combination of, um, you know, people eventually kind of know what to expect from me. Mm-hmm. And, and sure, I occasionally tweet about something non-work related. Right. Um, but the majority of it's going to be about organization development, HR, industrial psychology, change management, something within those realms uh, that's either current or happening or, or relevant. Do you find that um, you've shifted your personal account your survey guide too are you doing less stuff there or different type of stuff versus the other uh, vehicles that you're officially driving or how do you how do you uh, separate it or, or segregate what content you're pushing where good question and some of that at least for my own account uh, depends on what I'm interested in at the time okay uh, so so there is some of that that's simply you know right now I'm more interested in XYZ so I might look at my old feed and go huh uh, yeah, I used to be more interested in, in learning agility, for example. Right. I'm not as interested in that anymore. I've kind of moved past that. So I, yep. I'm very unlikely to share articles about that right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there might be something I share about debunking the failure rate for change or something like that. That's much more where something I'm interested in right now that even if I shared it two or three years ago, 
I continue to share it because people continue to buy into it. Okay. So, so organically, it sounds like you are responding to what you're finding and, and, you know, based on what you're reading, I know you're out on medium a lot. Um, so there's no real editorial calendar. There's no real for my personal account. No, okay. there's no editorial calendar. That would be a little <laughs> bit more sophisticated than a personal account needs for me. <laughs> well, you know, some people are that purposeful in, in building their brand. I mean, I would arguably say that you are an influencer and a lot of influencers do have that type of, uh, approach. So I suppose the exception would be, um, upcoming events. So that's something that's a, a little bit. Similar and a little bit different. So, for example, if I'm going to a conference or going to a mm-hmm. local event, I will make sure to say, hey, I should probably tweet about that at least once a week coming up to the event or something yeah, like that. Yeah, you do build so, the hype. Yeah, so that that is is one exception where I don't have it in an editorial calendar per se, mm-hmm. uh, but I do have it in the back of my mind like, oh, there's an upcoming meeting down the street. I want to help promote that because I, I believe right. in what they're doing. Well, I've actually seen you call out your your colleagues who are going to be there to to make sure that they're engaging. It's almost like you're you're, you're getting them to become public learners. You know what? Are, you know, encouraging them to share, and then you know the whole community benefits from that theoretically. That's true. I, I did a presentation last year at the local ATD, and that was all about leveraging social media for learning. Because sure, you can use social media for anything you want to. I'm not telling people how they have to use social media. Right. But if you want to use it to learn, there's lots of avenues there to, to learn and find out, oh, there's other ways of looking at things. There's new information coming out. There's new research that debunks old research. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's one avenue to try to help people with that. And yeah, I guess you could say I try to call people out and, and get them involved. Cause we all know that social media has a huge chunk of lurkers. Right. You know, there's people who are, and that's fine if they want to lurk. Uh, but if we can get them involved, then that might be even more beneficial for everybody. I'd probably see you most on Twitter, but I know you're, you're everywhere. Um, I mean, well, the primary ones. So Facebook, LinkedIn. Are you doing anything on Snap? I am not, no. Instagram? Uh, no. I take okay. horrible pictures. <laughs> <laughs> so would you say that your demographics then of the people... You know, so you mentioned HR, OD change. Are, are we collectively, you know, showing our demographics by, cause we're primarily Twitter? I think for me, I, I can't say that's true. Okay. Um, what I can say is that it's LinkedIn has made so many changes over the years. I get kind of frustrated with all their updates. Yes. And I found that at times it can be way too much of a cacophony of signal to noise ratio that isn't very good and twitter can be like that too but i have more tools on twitter to change that ratio whether it's through hashtags or lists or through apps Mm -hmm. where i can i can kind of cut through the noise and say oh what's going on now that i want to be aware of and unless linkedin makes some changes it's really hard to do that Mm -hmm. in fact they've made that harder uh, because they've stripped out some of the search functionality so which is weird but actually if you pay you can get it well, yeah, I mean, that's a slippery slope, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I do happen to have a paid account on LinkedIn, but um, maybe not for much longer. because <laughs> The utility I, is just not worth it. Yeah, I'm yeah. very unhappy with, with changes they've made there. So I used to be much more active on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. If, you, if we'd talked about this topic four or five years ago, I was very um, tentative on Twitter. I didn't do much on Twitter back then. And I've shifted the majority of my time on social media onto Twitter yeah, as okay. opposed to LinkedIn. Okay. LinkedIn's still good, um, but I, I prefer Twitter myself. Well, I actually see, I think you're more surgical as far as what you put out on LinkedIn. So it does sure. have value. Uh, it just doesn't have the 
frequency, I think, or the engagement, uh, I think from building a credibility point of view. And I think a lot of listeners of, of this podcast are probably solopreneurs or, or freelancers on their own. They, they need to have, uh, establish a presence on LinkedIn and find a way to do Definitely. the bare minimum. Right. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, I'm not on Pinterest or Instagram or some of those other ones. So they, mm-hmm. there's probably a argument to be on those as well. Um, it's just, there's only so many hours in a day <laughs> and I've, I've built up a lot of connections on Twitter. So I, I spend most of my social media time there. Um, although, you know, reading articles on, on medium and writing articles on medium is, has been a nice thing I've incorporated recently too. Have you found that what you've done with social media as a way of, of building a brand, uh, you know, getting credibility and, and, you know, authority in the space, are you finding any tools or techniques that either you or, or your followers are using inside of companies? So can they, can you use some of these same tactics to help drive, say, a change initiative? Have you seen that? I personally haven't. Okay. I, I think you can. You know, I've read some articles where people are, uh, especially around the, uh, enterprise social networks and using things inside. Mm-hmm. I, there's certainly an argument for that. I haven't personally seen that. Um, but, I think the answer is yes. Okay. I, you know, I see a lot of, you know, still SharePoint is, you know, and the, and the wikis on SharePoint are still being used. But, you know, when you think of how, you know, the, you know, the people under 25, I mean, Snap is literally how they communicate. You know, are there ways for enterprises to leverage that on a project? Um, you know, obviously there's a whole host of, change issues and, and actually legal and, and information issues that they got to mm-hmm. deal with too. But it's just interesting on, you know, when you think about these phones, you know, in our hands, they're literally our remote controls. You know, people spend, you know, the last figure I saw was spend 50% of their life on their phones. Somehow I think enterprises need to figure out how to tap into that in, in different ways. Cause the traditional ways of, of, doing communication around a project or initiative internally inside a company has, I think, changed drastically. And I think there are some people who are having really good success with Yammer and some of the other ones Mm -hmm. like that that are an internal tool that can be used that way. Uh, Obviously, not everybody is endorsing that or going that route, but uh, some people are having great success with that. I think it's viewed as Pandora's box. I think people, (laughs) you know, it's like, oh, my God, what have we unleashed? You know, because then the trolls come out, to your point. Yeah. I, I know of one company where as soon as they introduce the uh, chat function, the concern would be, well, nobody's going to use that for work. They're going to use that for goofing off. Right. You know, it's somebody down the hall or in a different building and they can just, you know, send smiley faces and emojis instead of where's that project, you know, which mm-hmm. is what it was intended for. Um, and in general, it was mostly what it was used for, but it's used for goofing off too. Yeah. Well, you know, the poop icon now is part of <laughs> status reports, you know, because of that. Um, going back to your, your comment about, you know, you go through fra- phases or cycles of the type of content that you find interesting or, or, or what you find compelling and then you're reposting. What's exciting you right now? Cause I know you've, you've had a career long passion around, um, job satisfaction, engagement and, uh, uh things of that nature, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the workforce and, and how people, um, are engaged. What, what's tripping your trigger now? There's several things. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind with that question is using a more evidence-based approach and trying to make sure that we're using sources of what's available from empirical research, which I know that can be hard for practitioners to get their hands on sometimes or interpret or even take time to say, 
gosh, I got to go read a journal article. <laughs> um, so, but, but I think that having a, a bead on what's happening in the scientific community and then translating that into what's happening with practitioners is just a huge gap. And, and some places it's narrowing, some places it's not. But there's, there's a couple of pitfalls with that where people can say, well, I read an article and here's what that one article said to do. Mm-hmm. Well, what we need to spend more time to do is try to aggregate that and synthesize that, whether it's through a formal meta-analysis or a systematic review, so that it isn't just a one-off, because one article could be one-off. Even if it's well-written, even if the scientific design was good, it might still be one piece of information. So we need to do more to say, what's out there across the spectrum so that we can have a better approach? Um, so... That's still just one source of evidence, though, because you've got stakeholders, you've got internal data, you've got personal expertise or professional expertise. And so that's that's one of my passions right now is trying to blend that all together so that we can have more rigorous results and, and more rigorous approaches to whether it's change or organization development or putting in performance appraisal systems. Hmm. So, you, so that that sounds like you're saying you're not a fan of fad management styles. <laughs> I am not a fan of fan of fad management styles at all. That is true. When you look at the audiences that you're reaching uh, through your social media, who is there clusters geographically uh, that you seem to see more engagement with? I mean, are you looking at any of the global uh, reach uh, analytics? A or are you little bit. Of- um, yeah, and this is you're gonna get a different answer for that for for anyone you ask. Um, but for me personally, I'm connected to a lot of people in Europe and the UK, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of people here in Minnesota, obviously because that's where I'm based. Sure. And then pockets throughout the U.S. Uh, so I wouldn't say that I necessarily have a global reach per se, but I have a couple of um, pretty deep pop- pockets of people that I interact with very frequently on social media. Because I, you know, I I tend to comment a lot on the fact that we're just blessed to have such a good community around OD and change management here in the Twin Cities. We are. But I know there's, you know, practitioners around the world. I'm just wondering if you see where those clusters are or, um, you know, is it on the coasts or? I'm, I do not know. I hmm. guess that's the shortest answer to that okay. question. I do not know. I, I know there's a lot of activity in different pockets of the world. And, you know, India, for example, is doing a lot of work around OD. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got a lot of people in um, the UK and Europe doing work on HR and all the different facets of HR underneath that. So there's there's lots of stuff going on out there. Um, at lunch today, you uh, you teased the... Um the news that uh, you're now pursuing a new educational program. Um, I'd love to hear more about that, if you don't mind sharing. Um, what What is it, um, and why are you interested in pursuing it? Sure. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to go back and work on a doctorate in organization development and change at the University of St. Thomas. Uh, part of that was to get – sometimes I feel like it's it's difficult to do your own introspection and look at your own skill sets and see where they – where they start and stop. And I think in my case, um, you know, some of my experience and background and training hasn't really been the greatest for things like really doing organization design mm. or, or really doing kind of massive, how do we take from uh, this current state and really get people to a future state? And so I want to address some of those gaps because I think that I have a good skill set when it comes to things like doing surveys and doing action plan around surveys. Still, though, that feels like it's kind of a, a smaller um almost project-based. 
And I'd rather have that be more strategic. Um, oh, interesting. And, yeah, so I still like the tactical work, right. but I, I want to do more strategic work. And I think that that's one way to bolster the skill set and say, you know what, I, I want to go back and, and really dive into this and, and work around that more. I'm so excited about that. That's so cool. <laughs> Thank what, you. <laughs> so uh, what's the commitment? How does the program work? Uh, they, they revamped the program two years ago, so it's a cohort base now. Oh, okay. And it's completely, I'll be in cohort number 10. Mm-hmm. And so we all start at the same time. We all progress through. And the actual, um, almost all the courses in this program are predetermined. It's kind of a lockstep thing. Mm-hmm. So I can't say, oh, gosh, I really didn't want to take that course this because I will be taking that course this quarter. Right. Um, and so it's set up so that you're with the same people throughout the course of the first couple of years. And then people split off more and start working more on their dissertations. Um, but, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. They That's... They have a blended... Some online, some in person, and then they do what they call residencies, which is confusing because it's not really a residency. It's just that's when everybody gets there in person. Oh, I so see. So whether yep. you're from the Twin Cities or from Europe or wherever, everybody comes to one location, and then you're you're instead of having the course, well, you're still doing some of the coursework before you get to the residency. But when you get the residency, then everybody's there together, and you're doing the learning together. Hmm. So some of them are very long. Um, the first couple are eight days, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then they get much shorter. It's four days. So you're kind of taking some time out from family and work and other things, but then it's done for that quarter. And and then you're just working online and doing some other things through the blended learning. Oh, that sounds cool. I hope so. It's still a huge time commitment. Uh, but I, I think that it, it's designed so that people can still work. You know, sure. I'm not abandoning the workforce for the next three years. I'm still going to be in the workforce. It's just, I'm going to put another layer on top. Uh, and for the next three or four years. <laughs> well, speaking of learning, you and I uh, got certified in the ProSci three-day at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you used those tools since? I've was... used them some. I mm-hmm. haven't used them massively. I wish I could say I've used them more. Uh, I think it's a great tool set to have in your back pocket. Um, and I know you've gone on for further training even and gone deeper into the system. I think it's a, a great model. And, and if anybody says I need to go get certified in a change management system, mm-hmm. I'd say ProSide. Grab list. Yeah. I actually, um, when I deploy or have deployed uh, change practitioners on a project, I'll tell them to do two things to prep for the project. One is to reread Flawless Consulting. Oh, okay. by Peter, Peter Block, Block. Sure. Yep. and specifically look at the checklist at the back of the book as a way to kind of, you know, be prepared for the um, the contracting phase and to make sure that they're doing all the right stuff as they, they jump onto the project. But then also to look at the uh, ProSci three-day course material uh, so that they have some rigor around the approach and so they can get up to speed faster and, and add value quicker for the project. So that's typically how I coach uh, consultants when I deploy them. That so, sounds like a good approach. Yeah. And, you know, um, you know, I think even, even ProSci will say this is that you can't be dogmatically rigid in using those tools. Um, you need to be very adaptive and, you know, be able to adapt with what the client wants and needs. And I find that having that as the underpinning of what I'm doing is a, is a great uh, source. And, Actually, I've seen you know other change practitioners be able to to leverage it well. So yeah, I I agree. It's um it's a good thing to have in your back pocket. Well, it, for some people, it's going to give a competitive advantage too. I mean, I, I can't speak to what other parts of the country are doing, but you know more than I do what the industry is like here in the Twin mm-hmm. Cities. And if somebody is going to do any kind of big change project, the people hiring them are going to 
need to see something that says they know something about what they're doing, whether it's a portfolio or a certification or you know mm-hmm. several different references and all that combined. I've talked to several people who have said, you know, I lost out on a gig because I didn't have a certification. And so, you know, if people want to be playing in that space, yeah. there's some things they need to do. It's table stakes. It's, it's table stakes, yeah. And there might be some exceptions to that if somebody's been doing this work for 40 years. Right. Um, but there might still be somebody that says, you know, you, you don't have the letters behind your name. And I don't know how that's going to play out with the uh, ACMP ACP, as well. Yeah. But that's kind of a different different kettle of fish there. Have you been to an ACMP conference? I have not. Okay. I have not. How about yourself? I've been to two. And uh, there, it's a great experience, but um, I, I, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you have to, when there's a, a short budget, you need to decide, is, you know, are you going to use it for certifications or training or to do that? Um, I'm actually thinking of doing a staycation version of ACMP this year. So uh, doing something here in town, uh, take the agenda from the conference that will be in Dallas this year in May and literally follow it, but find uh, the pres- the presenters on YouTube and just, hmm. you know, because they, they wind up speaking at other places. So my intent would be to do a staycation version of it and, and get the same uh, content uh, in a different way. I think it's in New Orleans this year. You're right. You're right. Dallas was last year. Thank you. Yeah. So you'd have to stream in some Cajun cooking or something like that. Yeah, there we go. Do some (laughs) catering. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually found it really um, interesting over the years because my primary go-to conference is the Society for Industrial Organizational Psychology. Yep. And a year or two ago, it was the exact same time as the ACMP conference. Hmm. I'm like, who did that? Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's not smart. There's some overlap between these disciplines. You'd think that Just there would be bit. some planning so that they wouldn't completely overlap. Um, and even if they're only off by a day or two, who wants to go from one conference to another? I, I don't. You know, it's nice to have a little bit of transition time after a conference instead of going straight to another one. It's like being a, uh, a Grateful Dead uh, learning groupie. You know, you go from one conference <laughs> to the next. And <laughs> uh Speaking of that, so what conferences are you going to attend this year? Are you going to go to that one, or did, did that one already happen? The Society for Industrial Organizational Psychology is, uh, yeah, it's coming up in the end of April. Okay. And so this year it's in Orlando, mm-hmm. um, April 20. Oh, it's coming up? Yeah, April 24th um, through the end of that week. So people can follow you as you uh, learn your way through that on Twitter. That's true. That, yeah. that is true. Yeah, there's a hashtag. It's um, SIOP17. Okay. Um, and each year it's just those four letters, S-I-O-P, mm-hmm. and then the number behind it. Um, I learned about six years ago it's not SIOP2017, it's SIOP17. You know, that's two different hashtags. So if you're searching Jeez. on Twitter, yeah. you know, you, you don't want to have to search for multiple hashtags when right. you're at an event. Um, but invariably some people will put in the wrong one. So no, I'm, uh, for fear of going down a geek rabbit hole, what, what tools are you using? <laughs> are you using like TweetDeck or Hootsuite? What, are, what do you use for your, uh, well, day to day, but then I would imagine you use something different at the conference. You know, I'm actually one of those people who's kind of old school. I, I mostly use the native Twitter app. Oh, you're kidding. <laughs> wow. And now I do well, that's have quaint. Hootsuite account. I do yep. have a buffer account. I do mm-hmm. have a Feedly account. I mean, I, I have some of those tools and I use them on occasion and I've heard really good things about TweetDeck. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if I'm just doing a hashtag search, I don't, I don't need anything fancy for that. Mm. Um, and especially if I'm at a conference, then, um, you know, it's kind of limited time on, on how much time you can do that. Well, I find that while I'm at a conference or if while I'm trying to monitor a conference when I'm still at home, 
I use TweetDeck and then just do a, um, uh, I'll do the hashtag stream so I can follow it in a browser mm-hmm. and it just kind of ticks by. You know what they did this year, and, and this is new for this specific year. I'm sure other conferences have been doing this before, but um, we have a new app this year for that conference. So there's a nice. there's an app by a company called Whova, mm-hmm. and the Whova app has an internal uh, feed. So if you if you integrate your Twitter account with that app, mm-hmm. then you can go to the feed, and the feed is that hashtag. Beautiful. So you could literally just go inside of that app and say, what's happening with this hashtag right now? Yep. And you'll see, like right now, even though the conference is a month away, people are tweeting about their sessions are coming up or what they're signing up for. Or, you know, we're still using um, uh, actual physical books will get shipped out to people who request them. So those are supposed to come this week. So probably once those books arrive, people start taking pictures of them and saying, hey, I got my book. I'm going to start scheduling. It'll be, you know, an inch thick. And it's just, you know, each it's a tough conference because for each time slot, there's at least somewhere between 12 and 20 sessions. Wow. And so you have to pick. And for me personally, because I have so many interests, it's like, okay, I've got three. I can't be in three at the same time. I have to pick one because I learned a long time ago. I'm not going to start one and go to another one. It's just too much divided attention. Right. So I have to pick one. And unless it turns out to be very, very different than the way it's written up, I'm going to stick with that one. I'm not going to wander into another session. Going back to your curation, how, how do you get exposed to the stuff that you wind up tweeting for your account and then for the, the brands that you're managing the social media for? I mean, how do you find that serendipity? A combination of a few different things. Um, so part of it is using hashtags. Uh, luckily, for things like IO psychology, which is industrial organizational psychology, usually the hashtag is just IO psych. Mm-hmm. And so that isn't a super common one yet. And so if people are using that, it's people who in general know this is content that, that's going to appeal to that small audience because we're kind of a niche audience. Right. Unlike the hashtag of change management, which is so well known and so overused. It's like you can, it's hard to do a search on that because so many people use it and it's not even about change management. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, hashtags are important, but it needs to be relevant to the topic. Sure. So, so I'm getting off the point of your question here. Oh, um, that's fine. But so, yeah, it's a combination of hashtags, uh, looking at accounts that I know tweet really good content. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, if, if there are some people who have high volume but not necessarily high quality, those are the ones I don't spend much time with. But there are other people who have kind of low volume, high quality. And so there are kind of some go-to people that I've made a list of where I say, okay, if I'm, if I'm in a hurry... I don't want to scan through a thousand tweets that right. takes forever, um, but I'm happy to scan through ten or twenty. And and so I use some kind of old-fashioned tools like <laughs> hashtags, lists, and just going to a few people. So I actually have I don't have many, but I have a few where I actually get mobile notifications on if somebody tweets. Now, obviously, you want to use that sparingly. Um, sure. And obviously, if I have my phone turned off, they don't you know I don't get them right away. But it, there are a few people who only tweet like once a day. Mm-hmm. But when they tweet, you can pretty much guarantee, hey, that's worth checking out. I may or may not reshare that, uh, but it's there are a few go-to people like... Um, yeah, I was going to say, give us some of the, your go-to people. Uh, Adam Grant. Adam Grant is a go-to person. Uh, he, he tweets on things in a variety of contexts. Um, it's usually science-based. And it's something where that's, he also has, I don't know, 50,000 followers last time I looked. So it's very likely to go viral in some respect too. Uh, but he's somebody where I, you know, eventually I might turn off the, the ability to see him all the time, but he's only tweeting once or twice a day. Mm. And it's highly likely to be relevant. And good. And good, yeah. Yeah. Anyone else? How about for change management? Uh, for change management, um, uh, 
actually have Change Guild in there. Oh, I do. Go on. <laughs> I do. <laughs> All right, I paid you to say that. So. <laughs> um, but I don't have Dan Olson in there anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's kind of a tool, so you know. <laughs> so yeah, I have a few like that, and then within the evidence-based um, management world or evidence-based practice, mm-hmm. uh, Rob Breener. And the Center for Evidence-Based Management over in Europe, uh, those are ones that I, I, you know, I might not share what they tweeted, but I want to see what they have. Because Rob is somebody who ha- tweets on a variety of things. It might be about emotional intelligence and, and some of the myths around that, or it might be about what he had for breakfast. You know, so mm-hmm. what he had for breakfast, I don't need to know or what I don't need to share. Sure. You know, but it's his personal account. Talk a little bit about the change management review. I mean, I, I can spend an hour talking about how much I, as a practitioner, appreciate it. Um, how did you get connected with them? And then what's your editorial philosophy and the content that you're pushing and helping them with? Ironically, the way I got connected with them was through social media. <laughs> well, <laughs> I had ran across them on Twitter and then eventually, uh, Teresa Moulton or Terry had posted mm-hmm. something saying she was looking for a few people to work virtually for her. And initially that was going to take the, take the role of primarily doing some writing and maybe a podcast. And it kind of morphed into, I do help somewhat with the editorial content, but primarily what I do is I help with the social media. Okay. Um, so I coordinate Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and I also help to uh, curate uh, some of the information that goes into the newsletter. Um, oh, fantastic. Yeah, that yeah. email is a fantastic newsletter. That's great feedback for Terry. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, and obviously the podcast continues to grow, and uh, you were kind enough to get me connected to it and get to do one. And, uh, you know, I was telling you at lunch just how many LinkedIn um, connections I got globally. It just really blew me away of the reach that you guys have with that uh, platform. It's fantastic. That is really good to hear. So I think that the, the podcast, it, it does fit a niche. I mean, even though there are other podcasts out there and, and one specifically to change management. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Terry is doing a good job of talking to people, uh, Daryl Connor, um, mm-hmm. Jennifer in Australia and other people who are kind of on the cutting edge of what's, what's the thinking in, in, in the change world right now. Um, and so there's, and there's some good stuff coming out in the near future too. Yeah. And I was, I was, you, you jumped ahead uh, on topics for me. I was going to say the, uh, I just love the, um, both from the podcast content and from the content, uh, you know, on the newsletter and the website and all that stuff, you know, talking about things like ethnography. I mean, these are the things that are helping shape the future of change. And mm-hmm. I'm excited to see that stuff discussed because there's not a lot of venues where, you know, uh, where we have that. So to me, this is how as a practitioner, I get better and I learn and grow. So I I very much appreciate the fact that that's out there in that vein is what other topics are you seeing are, are starting to influence change? I know that uh, I've seen you publish a lot of stuff like on lean change or agile change, anything else that comes to mind? Uh, Ethnography, obviously. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, it's funny that you went to those first because that was what I was going to say first. Oh, but oh, but the example you give is, is really good because what, what Terry is trying to do is I think try to kind of break down some of those boundaries, which works good for me too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she did a podcast with uh, Sherry Duda and Sherry is from the Organization Development Network. Yep. There are two separate but related and overlapping fields that approach things very, very differently. But part of the thrust of that podcast was 
what can change management learn from organization development? Oh, I love that. Right. And so you've got, and so that's been a theme. It's not that, um, it's change management is deficient per se, but it needs to be open to what can we learn from marketers? What can we learn from anthropology? What can we learn from organization development? What can we learn from organizational psychology? So it's, it's, it doesn't become so insulated and it's able to learn from those other disciplines. Right. Neuroscience, another big area, I think. That one's fraught with pitfalls, but uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that's an, another example, sure. I, th- I think that, um, yeah, that's that's a whole other topic. Well, that could be a whole other podcast. <laughs> it could be. I wouldn't be the guest for that one, though. I think that with uh, neuroscience, well, was, there's, there's just a lot of neuro babble out there right now. There's a lot of people who are taking advantage of the name and taking advantage of what little parts of science that are being translated. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're translated well, but sometimes they're, they're lab results that may or may not work in the real world. Right. And then you've also got some problems that came up last year with some of the um, fMRI imaging uh the way they were interpreted isn't really the way they should be interpreted. So there's, I think neuroscience has a lot of potential to, to provide. Um, but right now I think it's just, it's, there's, there's a lot of pitfalls with that one. Obviously with you broadening your horizons with uh, your upcoming doctorate, what do you see as the future of work and some of the immediate and maybe midterm mid range uh, challenges that we're going to see over the next couple of years? They just go too esoteric on you there? <laughs> it's, it's a big question. And the reason I hesitate is because, A, that becomes pure speculation on my part. Mm-hmm. Um, B, it, it seems like when people use the term future of work, mm-hmm. it means at least 20 different things. Okay. And, and so when it's kind of like that, that bit from The Princess Bride, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's kind of like that term does not mean what you think it means. Right. Um, it's inconceivable. It's inconceivable. So, so for me, I think a couple of different streams are, are dovetailing, but we're going to have to see how they come up because part of that becomes the issue of automation. So, so some jobs are going to go away. Now, automation also means other jobs are going to pop up. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't mean that all jobs are, are leaving, but some jobs definitely are, are evolving and going away. But another part of that future of work is artificial intelligence. You know, sure. You've got chatbots, for example, that are going to be able to start doing some of the job. Um, are rocket scientists out of a job? Probably not yet. Are you know are brain surgeons out of a job? No. I mean, there's certain categories of jobs, but hopefully, what will happen with that is that jobs will slowly become easier mm-hmm. or better, or they can remove some of the the menial tasks that people do, and they can really dive into the deeper work. And so we've seen some of that. Not much, but we've seen some of that in the HR world too, where you can start to say, let's put in some predictive algorithms. Let's see what we can do with this. Um, I think the jury is still out on most of that, but that, it holds a lot of potential. One of the uh, topics I like to build into, you know, when I'm, I'm asked to speak on changes, I, I talk about Moore's law and the, the fact that, you know, computing power, uh, you know, advances so quickly. Um, I think because of that, the way that we respond in the workplace needs to change because things are moving so quickly now. You know, it's almost hackneyed to say this, the pace of changes is, is speeding up. I mean, I think we've all become numb to it, but to your point, I think, you know, like within the next five years, I think finance teams are going to find themselves, you know, disintermediated because of Watson or, or, or big data, um, to do more strategic things. You know, how do you look at, things more holistically and i think od and change managers can play a role in helping Definitely. build that resiliency within the workplace help people be adaptive um 
you know, cause I think a lot of people are going to find themselves out of work or their job functions are just going to completely change. You know, obviously, you know, the, the case study on this is, is uh, truck drivers, you know, uh, autonomous trucks are, are going to replace them. Well, what's going to happen to all those people? And I think we're going to see that in, in both, uh, blue collar and white collar jobs in ways that we've never seen before. I agree. And I, th- I think that there are some examples of, uh, some cutting edge technology. I-, I can think of a couple of companies where what they're doing is they are using things like neural nets and algorithms that are quite frankly beyond my pay grade. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're using that to be able to say, well, how can we start to predict some of these things? And, and then what can we do to make managers' lives easier? Mm-hmm. What levers can we help them pull to say, okay, for your area, for your division, for your department, here's what's going on. And here's some potential solutions for you. So they don't have to just go, God, I'm just really trying to hit my targets here. You know, they, I mean, if they're a manager, if they're a supervisor, that means they're also developing people. If they're not, right. they're not doing their job. And so what can people in our space do to help them to do that? And I think AI is going to be able to help with that eventually. Yeah, like your your chatbot example you gave before that makes me think uh, my the CRM the CRM that I use to kind of keep track of all my my contacts sales leads and all that stuff just <laughs> I, I was joking uh, to a friend that it just gained sentience and it started to react <laughs> to me but there's actually a, a new um, predictive algorithm built into it now and it starts to tell me sales signals and and you know who haven't I called or who haven't I followed up with? I mean, it's, it's just amazing to see, you know, a free feature that something I didn't ask for now has just kind of sprung forward. And we'll translate that to the workplace. I mean, what if managers have, and of course this, this is a double edged sword here, but what if managers have information that says, you know, there's a high probability these employees are looking to be leaving. Mm-hmm. And so are they employees you want to retain or are they employees that you're fine with them walking out the door? And if you want to retain them, how are you going to do that? And if you want to help them out the door, how are you going to address that? Interesting. Well, you, you know, we're, um, if you look at things like, and, and I'm sure you've done this, um, promoting uh, content or, or, or getting ads in Facebook, you can be hyper specific that you want to find people within a certain age range, within a certain zip code area that has a proclivity to want to buy a car, you know, just based on their, their search habits. I mean, applying that to the workplace. I mean, it's a, it's a whole new world that we can, Mm -hmm. we we need to start thinking about quickly. Well, it it gets into ethical issues really quickly too. And I Mm -hmm. think that's the same thing with say using nudges with people. You know, you can use nudges for good or nudges not so much for good. And you, and you can say, you know, we're doing this for the good of the people. Well, are you or are you just trying to, you know, look at your own bottom line? You know, health insurance and benefits, for example. There's lots of things that can be done to nudge people in, in a good direction, but there's also some ethical considerations there. Wow. BI ethics is, <laughs> or AI ethics here. Wow, that's kind of, that's heady. Yeah, be careful with the acronyms, but yeah, that's, yeah. that's kind of what we're looking at. Yeah. Uh, so you have a, um, I know you have a lot of speaking gigs that you do throughout the year, but you got one coming up. What's your next one? I think you have one beginning of April. 
I do actually. I just found out. I'm going to be talking about evidence-based practice at the Minnesota Organization Development Network. Very nice. And they decided to do a, a 40th anniversary celebration. They've got six or seven of us coming up and, and doing some uh, table talks and facilitating discussions around our issues. So I think there's seven different topics. Wow. And um, yeah, mine is just one of, of many. Okay. And so that should be a lot of fun. So how much time do you get to speak on your topic then? It's 20 minutes per per session per or, session or speaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the 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 format has evolved a little bit and so we'll we'll see how it looks, but um I have actually have to send in my um confirmation and short write up again today, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Do you have anything else booked after that? Well, I'm speaking on a panel at the Society for Industrial Organizational Psychology. That one's on social media. It's about getting impact out of your social media. So beyond likes and clicks and, and views, what else can we get out of it? What else can we show? So when, if an employer says, what, why in the world should we be spending any time on social media? Mm-hmm. We can say, here are some other kind of metrics where you can look more at engagement, look more beyond the likes and what can we do for that? So that's at the, um, SIOP conference in Orlando. You are just a renaissance man. You are all, you have <laughs> I don't so know many. about that. All right. And so, uh, and what groups do you hang out with here in town then? So I know I see you at the uh, Minnesota Change Management Network meetings. You know, I have kind of a multidisciplinary focus. So uh, my home base is actually the Minnesota Professionals for Psychology Applied to Work. Okay. Um, that's the one that I used to be on the board of, and I still attend that one the most often. Okay. Um and almost uh, the same with the Minnesota Organization Development Network. So the MNODN and MPAR are the two acronyms that are just a mouthful to say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also a member of the ATD for the greater Twin Cities, too. I don't hit those meetings quite as often, though. Okay. And we see you at the Change Summits. And you or... see me at the Change Summits, which didn't work for my schedules very well last year or the year before. Uh, but I've been able to make some shifts, so I'm able to attend that one now. Very good. And then if people want to follow you, it's obviously you're the infamous Survey Guy 2 on Twitter. Survey Guy 2 on Twitter and actually on Medium, that's the same name on there too as Survey Guy 2. What's your experience been with Medium? Do you like that as a platform? I do. Um, a little I, bit longer form, obviously. Yeah, I, I was kind of ambivalent about it last year. I actually uh, didn't write anything on there for a long time. And then I kind of recommitted to doing it now and actually recently started to uh, have a co-writer that I'm writing with which has just been fantastic. Um, I think the, the, hate to use the word synergy, right. but the synergy between the two perspectives has been really good. And so we try to look at things through an organizational psychology lens and a behavioral economic lens. And those two things combined have been a really cool combination. Oh, yeah. I just think that's a fascinating, uh, and, and you've got a couple things out so far with that. Have, yeah. Have that publication publication is what medium calls it yes. so so we're calling it new organizational insights mm-hmm. and we've got four in there now but the first one is just an intro it's just so sure what is this why yeah. is this Where here we is are this? yep yeah so we've got three in there now and the next one uh which i need to write uh, <laughs> the next one on the docket is about stakeholder management because it's Excellent. about you know how do we manage stakeholders because there's this idea that everything is a win-win and not everything is a win-win. And so how do we balance those trade-offs when we look at that through a couple different lenses? Oh, fascinating. Yeah, I haven't written it yet, but, but it's, it's it next in the good. queue. How long does it take you to put one of those together? It depends. Um, I mean, for, for a, 
an article that we're writing for that or for that particular publication, uh, we have about two weeks to work on it. Mm-hmm. That might mean two hours. It might mean 10 hours, but, uh, it, it, the way we're doing it now, there's a lot of collaboration back and forth. So we're doing kind of a Lennon and McCartney kind of thing. <laughs> so my partner might be the primary writer of one article and he might write 80% of it. Mm-hmm. And I kind of season in 20%. Um, and the next one being mine is going to be majority mine and he'll season in his when it's ready. And then we go back and forth is usually two or three iterations, sometimes more. Cool. Uh, any final thoughts you want to share with uh, folks around uh, social media or um, using social media as a learning tool? You know, social media gets a bad rap. I think I've said that before and I'll probably say it again because there's just so many, so many things out there from spam to, you know, I've seen automated accounts where people are putting out the same thing every 15 minutes. I'm like, seriously, come on. That's not what this is for. Um, It's noise. Yeah, it's just noise. And then there's, of course, trolls you're going to run into and stuff. Uh, But if you can streamline it, and I'm not talking necessarily echo chambers, but if you can streamline it where you're saying, I'm going there for a purpose and I'm sharing information for a purpose, um, why not? You know, if if there's an article you like and you want to help see people read it, then why not share it? Mm -hmm. If there's an upcoming event or a publication opportunity, help promote it. Uh, so I think that there's lots of opportunities. And of course, there's lots of potential problems. Uh, but send me a message. I'll help you out. <laughs> Seriously, if somebody wants some help with social media, I'm happy to give them a few tips and pointers. And there's lots of people out there that know a lot more than I do. Mm-hmm. But for specifically, if you're looking to tweet about organizational change or leadership development or assessment in the workplace, that's kind of a niche area. And um, I'm happy to give people tips and pointers on it. And, and I know you've helped a lot of friends that I've sent your way. So thank you for that. And thank you for that kind of pay it forward mentality. I know it's you bet. Uh, you bet. Good, good karma. Final question. Anything uh, coming down the road with the change management review uh, editorially or any big stuff uh, happening on the website? Uh, We've got some big stuff uh, coming in the near future. Uh, there's a couple of podcasts that are in the can, but the, probably the biggest thing right now, uh, which will come out, I forget the exact dates. I should know that off the top of my head. I think it's May 24th and May 30th. Uh, there's going to be virtual consulting clinics with Daryl Connor. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So Daryl Connor is, is partnering for these, um, consulting clinics to, to work on virtually helping people in, in coaching situations. That's great. The, uh, yeah. your, the virtual content that you guys have done, you did a panel. Uh, last fall did you did you not that was a we did a virtual change management summit yeah. it wasn't a panel per se it was 10 well actually 11 different speakers speaking yeah. on different topics that was fantastic. So we, yeah we had everything from some agile work uh some design thinking you, you name it we kind of hit a lot of those different things mm-hmm. and we have another one of those in the works as well oh, uh, i don't think there's a i don't we haven't publicly announced uh, when that one's going to be yet uh but yeah there's going to be another virtual change summit too okay so follow you at SurveyGuy2. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dan. Don't forget to follow Change Guild on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. You can find us on the web at changeguild.co. Change Guild, because the easy stuff is already done. This has been a Change Guild Digital Studios production.